Hello, I'm Jordan North. And I'm William Hansen. And together we host Help I Sexted My Boss, a podcast that combines William's world of etiquette tips with Jordan's special northern charm. We help navigate the everyday challenges of modern life. Like how to tell someone that their breath smells like death. And of course, what should you do if you've accidentally sexted your boss? Just search for Help, I Sexed My Boss on your chosen podcast platform and let us help you change your life for the better. Or potentially maybe make things worse. It could go either way. Welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. On this podcast, I'm joined by a celebrity guest and a brilliant expert every week and together we tackle a dilemma sent in by you. Our goal is to get you some useful advice and have a bit of fun along the way. Today's episode is all about dating and working out how much of ourselves to share up front. Should we put in our dating profile that we have a disability, for example, or talk about our neurodiversity on a first date? And do people have a right to know these things anyway? Let's try and work it out. This is It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? I am so excited to be joined by the comedian and writer Rosie Jones today. Rosie has appeared on a plethora of TV shows, including QI, The Last Leg and 8 Out of 10 Cats. She also has her own travel show called Trip Hazard. And she's written two children's books about a little girl living with cerebral palsy, inspired by Rosie's own experiences growing up with the condition. The things I love most about Rosie are her joyfulness, her honesty, and you know what? The fact that she's really quite naughty. So here she is, Rosie Jones. Rosie Jones, you superstar. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm really good. I'm so happy to be here. With you. I've got to tell you, I'm surprised you didn't fall into the studio today like oh. you did on the stage at the Royal Albert Hall, the Teenage Cancer Trust thing the other night. Yeah. I thought that was part of your act. So you were at that brilliant gig. I was so nervous <laughs> because I grew up watching Victoria Woods DVDs live at the Albert Hall. So I was getting ready backstage and I think my agent jinxed it because <laughs> she was like, all you need to do is walk out there, don't fall over and tell jokes. And I was like, easy peasy. And as soon as I went out and thought about Victoria Wood, and I thought, shit, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then, bang, what was great was my walk on music was Chumba Wumba, I get knocked down 
but I get up again. So I think you thought I did it on purpose. I thought it was on purpose. I was a bit like, that is genius, that you come on stage and just fall over in front of her. It was brilliant. Now, listen, obviously, you are a comedian and therefore yes. a very funny person. But I also know that you are full of wisdom, Rosie Jo. So I'm expecting some real gems of advice from you today. Right. Zero pressure. Now, before we get stuck into the serious stuff, every week I ask my guest to bring in their own It Can't Just Be Me dilemma. What have you got for me? Right. It can't just be me who feels so awkward at the end of the meal when it comes to paying that I normally sneak off and pay for the whole table. So you go and pay for the whole table because you feel awkward? Yeah. I just hate when the bill comes and someone gets a calculator out and then someone else goes, well... You had wine, I didn't have wine. I don't care. I can't bear it. (laughs) I mean, what I've done also here is I've given you a little problem, but actually saying... Look at me, I'm so generous. I know, that's that's a little bit double-sided, your dilemma, because you're going, look at how amazing I am. Do you know, is it that you hate, because I hate tight people. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. to say that. Yeah. I yeah. hate tight people. I hate their reputation as a person from Yorkshire that I am a tight lass. No. So you're going no. you're going to the other extreme, yeah, Rosie, of going, yeah. I'm so not tight, but I'm gonna pay for the entire restaurant. <laughs> I pay for the entire county of Yorkshire. <laughs> I actually love you for that and more power to you. I am gonna come out for dinner with you, yes, Rosie Jones. And I will pay. You're on, you're on. Now, listen, today we do have a job to do. I'm going to steer you away from paying for everybody in the studio and edge you towards today's dilemma. And to help us with that, I'm delighted to say that we're also joined by another guest, Jenny Williams, CEO of the charity Enhance the UK. Jenny, hello. Well, can I come out for dinner with you, Rosie? Yeah. Get that booked in. Yeah. Uh, hello, thank you very much for having me. Jenny, tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Enhance the UK. Okay, so we are a disability-led charity, which means all of us have got disabilities impairments ourselves. So we support disabled people to have an active sex life. And when people go, what does that mean? It's not just about sex. It's about everything that's to do with that. So it's dating, sexual identity, sexual expression, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, all the things that make us feel good about ourselves. From sex education all the way up to if people have acquired disabilities, helping them grieve helping them re-examine their bodies, rediscover erogenous zones, all of those things. It's all about the education, isn't yeah, it? And, and inclusivity as yeah. well. Now, listen, you've brought in a dilemma from a member of your community today. So let's get started. Here's Charlie. 
Hello, I have a question around whether you should disclose on your dating profile if you are neurodivergent or not. I'm just starting to get back into dating and I've never had it on a dating profile before, but I have ADHD. Some of my partners in the past have been supportive, some haven't. And I think it comes down to that a lot of people don't actually know much about it. So I don't know if I should put it there from the get-go so that people can ask questions. And also, you know, if I'm on a first date, it might help to explain things why I struggle with eye contact or, you know, I don't really like hugs or, you know, things like that. Or whether it's kind of like a two or three dates, kind of explain it a little bit more once someone's got to know you. What would you suggest? Because I want to try and be as, as honest with a potential new partner as I can. Wow. Okay. So Charlie wants to know whether they should put their ADHD diagnosis on their dating profile or whether to wait until there are a few dates in. This is really interesting, isn't it? What made you decide to bring this one in, Jenny? You know what? This is one of the most common dilemmas that we have. And the reason that this is such a common dilemma is lots and lots of people have hidden disabilities. People say, well, if I'm a wheelchair user, everybody can see that. But if I've got a hidden disability, nobody can see it. So at what point is it that I should disclose? ADHD comes under the umbrella of neurodiversity. And, you know, for years and years and years, people think, oh, it's the naughty boy in the playground or in school. But lots of women, particularly later on in life, are now getting diagnosed. As Charlie said, eye contact can be really difficult. People quite often misdiagnose it for depression. And some people need medication for it. Okay. But it can be very, very difficult for some people to function day to day. OK, thank you for that. Rosie, what is your initial gut reaction to whether or not Charlie should put this on their dating profile first? It's so hard and I think with everything when it comes to disability, it's about your individual preference. Charlie feels quite hesitant to go into a first date without the date knowing. But from my experience, it felt like I was revealing too much about myself. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've had a hate-hate relationship with dating apps. I tried them twice. I tried them about 12 years ago when I was dating men. And whenever I put my disability on my description, I would get no matches. None. Really? None. So if you disclosed up front, yeah. I have cerebral palsy, yeah. you'd get no matches? None. Well, I lie, I got one, and it was a guy who said, I'm turned on by disabled people. No! Yeah. And then when I took... 
my dates have been taken off the description immediately I will get matches. But then you're playing a merry dance of at what point during the chat do I tell them, do I go, hello, I'm Rosie, I'm disabled. <laughs> and then do you wait till you've been talking for two or three days because then it felt weird that they knew what sandwich I ate for lunch, but they don't know this massive part of who I am. And then, arguably, my disability is my business. Mm. So... There is an argument for saying, could I have gone on that literal first date without ever telling them? Um, But I never did because my disability slightly different from younger diverse people is they would know as soon as I fell through the door. So I never did that first day. I think that opens a very interesting conversation around could somebody fall in love with you over a dating app without you revealing? Yeah, that's a really, really tricky one because my disability has nothing to do with my personality, but it is a fact. And I think when you come to a sexual partner or someone you want to date, you need to find them attractive and you need all the information there. So... As I said, I wouldn't go on a date without disclosing it because they need to be aware of the whole Jones. The whole Jones. So, so, so you're saying that now, because you're happily single, you would now say... I have cerebral palsy. You need to know this about me. Yes. I mean, people know it because you're famous. Yeah. But but you you would disclose that. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it dishonest not to tell somebody? Do you think, Jenny? I think it's exactly what Rosie said. I think it's a really personal journey. It, there's no right or wrong answer to this, and it's a very big thing sharing something about yourself to somebody, and. I do think there's a sense of responsibility you have to the other person. I mean, an example, I'm a hearing aid user. I lip read. I arranged a date, went on a dog walk in the evening. 
we're walking along next to each other and I was like this is the worst idea I could possibly have had I couldn't li- I, I, and in the end I had to go oh, I need to tell you I'm hearing aid use I can't lip read you I was about to fall over and break my neck but there really isn't a right or wrong and also you can change profiles if you're feeling really good about yourself you know dating can be brutal whether you've got disability or not and if you're feeling in a good place and you want to put it on a profile you can weeks later you can take it off yeah. and also I think it depends on which dating app you go on because there are some that are really open and honest and I'm seeing a trend people being a lot more honest and open about neurodiversity much more and they're putting things like I'm neurodiverse ask me which flavor you know and things like that so I think the physical disability people aren't talking about as much but neurodiversity is much more commonplace now with younger people. How do you find that people tend to react when you disclose that you have a disability, whether hidden or not. Are you hearing from your members about how the general public or able-bodied people are reacting to it? We call it the tosser filter. (laughs) And and it's a really good one, you know, and it is quite literally that, you know, there are some people who just ghost you completely. But then again, people do that anyway. And all jokes aside, you know, um, Rosie's mentioned there's somebody went, oh, I like disabled people. Devotees are real. Devotee? What is that? It's a name and it's a term used for people who fetishise disabled people or disabilities. So one of the most common fetish can be somebody who has had an amputation, for example. Emily Yates did a wonderful documentary on this. She's a wheelchair user. Um, You should check it out. And again, that's a whole conversation we're going to get into. But people fetishise about disabled people. So you have got to be careful if you're putting yourself out there as well, that you're not just attracting devotees. The wrong tossers. The wrong tossers. And some devotees are lovely. Not saying everybody is, and I'm not going to fetish shame but there are conversations that you need to be having that someone's with you because they want they like you not because they've got a thing about, your, got disability. A thing about your disability so there is a lot to it isn't yeah. there Rosie when yeah. it comes to like how you present yourself and how you're feeling that day or that week and can I ask a bit of a difficult question actually it's just occurred to me people with disabilities do they have a hierarchy of I'm not going out with you because you wear a hearing aid, but I'm in a wheelchair. Do you know what I mean? That's such a good question. Do you mind me jumping in? And yeah. then, well, I think number one, there's massively internalised ableism in all of us. You know, yeah. like and so people like massively. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I think certain disabled people. You know, you kind of when you're younger, say you go for a hearing test, say you hear all these negative words. You know, your hearing's not great. You're not on the normal range. And actually, from a very young age, you hear very negative things and you internalise that. And it might sound really petty if you haven't experienced that, but it's something that stays with you. So quite a lot of the time, if you're a disabled person, you kind of go, I want to be with a non-disabled person to like normalise and balance myself out. Lots of people feel like that. And then non-disabled people think that all disabled people just want to be together. And actually, shouldn't it just be like, I fancy you, you fancy me, let's get it on, you know? But... Did did you have or do you have that internalised ableism, Rosie? Oh, 100% every day. And it's only now in my 30s that I can recognise it and I can stop myself and I'm going to show up now. But I recently did a photo shoot for Vogue. Look and it you. was huge. And I felt so, 
sexy and attractive and that looked at the photos and I'm ashamed to say that my first thought was great. I don't look disabled because I'm still fighting that thought of if I ever bit a dribble on my chin, if I hold my mouth a certain way, I look like I got cerebral palsy and that is bad. But why do I think that? It's because of childhood society growing up everyone just shortly telling me that disabled people can't be sexy or attractive or loved and that goes way back and it's The bottom line is about representation because it makes you think I'm not worthy. Of course. I mean, all psychological issues basically come down to self-esteem and I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm, I'm not loved. But I understand that you had a bit of a light bulb moment in your relationship with your ex last year around self-love. Tell us about that. Again, we're back to internalised ableism, but I started dating a woman who I used to work with and we had this lovely time together and we'd talk all day every day and she would send me lovely voice notes and I would always reply on text message and she called me out on it and she said why don't you ever reply on the voice message and I said like it was a matter of fact I went whoa because on my voice because I sound disabled, like, you don't want to hear my voice, it's awful, and saving you the trouble, and you can just read my answer, and that goes back to the internalised ableism of thinking, my voice is literally my disability, which equals not sexy, not attractive, not worth love. And she was so honest and so kind. And she said, Rosie, your voice is one of my favourite things 
about you. I love the tone. I love how everything slows down and it settles me. And she said, it makes me feel safe. Wow. That is amazing. There's, there's no higher, greater compliment from somebody you love than for them to say, I feel safe with you. Yeah. What a, what a wonderful thing. What yeah. a wonderful thing to hear. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you uh, as well, Rosie, about the fact that as well as being a comedian, you're a writer, and you worked on the brilliant series Sex Education, yeah. where you created a sex scene between a boy with a disability and a girl without a disability. Mm. Why was that so important for you to represent that? Because I love sex education and it felt so inclusive apart from disability. So when I got a job on day one, I was like, right, we need to sort this shit out. (laughs) We need to create this flawed character who happens to have a disability and show them being healthy, sexual and loved because I grew up in a world where disabled sex was never seen unless born. Absolutely. And again, it still feels as though there's not enough representation in the media with people with disabilities having sex, which again comes back to the charity Enhance the UK, Jenny, and what you guys do in there and the education that you provide. Well, it's interesting. I hung on every word that you were saying about talking about your ex-girlfriend because it's about people hearing other people's experiences that are relatable and trying not to, you know, hide away and shy away and actually learning. And there's lots of people that, especially if you've born disabled, you end up being really infantilized, even yeah. going through yeah. teenagehood and even going through adulthood. What, what do you mean? Well, you're treated like a child, you know, because a lot of the time you stay living with your parents, for example, for long, much longer than you would do if you didn't have a, a disability, maybe a physical disability. Places aren't accessible half the time, you know, uni accommodation and things like that. It's yeah. really difficult to come by, so people have to stay with their parents. When you go to uni or you go travelling, you're out shagging, you're out, you know, doing it. It's very, very difficult, particularly if you've got a physical disability or if you're in a care setting. Most care homes have child locks on their internet. And the answer normally is, is because, oh, we don't want our staff to watch porn at work. I might tell me a carer that's got time to do that, (laughs) you know, um, you know. And um, so people can't access half these things, not necessarily porn, but anything to do with like, you know, sex, sex, anything like that. Most people who are in care settings sleep in a single bed. I haven't slept in a single bed since I was a kid. You know, like that instantly infantilizes you. So a lot of carers don't know how to, um, any, not just carers, doctors, paediatricians, any, you know, anyone in that medical setting don't really know how to have conversations with young people from the get-go. Young people start masturbating at an early age. Mm. So we train staff 
how to get over this fear of having this conversation. A long time ago now, about five years ago, um, Rocksoft came to us and said, we'd really like to make some inclusive sex toys. So we've been working on a range called Quest. And we're really excited about it because actually I'm almost more excited about the packaging than the toys because I want it to be accessible. We wanted to make something that somebody could open with their teeth, you know, and then be able to write the training to support the staff to supporting somebody in care to use sex toys that's incredible congratulations thank you it feels like it's coming out at the right time because I feel like there's more of an appetite and we're having this conversation now mm. we wouldn't have necessarily had this conversation a few years ago so it feels like it's naturally the right time talking of naturally the right time I want to come back to Charlie because they are looking for concrete advice on when and how to tell their dates about their ADHD so First, Rosie, should they or should they not write it in their dating profile? I think they should because when you write it, you take out any shame and you're absolutely right. It is a big, it's twat. <laughs> and if they block you because of your neurodiversity, good riddance. I think my anecdote about no one matching with me, that was 12 years ago. Mm. And I think now... We're in an entirely different environment where I really believe that a lot more people are open and willing to accept all disabilities. So, yeah, I wear my... CP on match leave, and I hope Charlie does too. Jenny, what do you think? I'm going to be a little bit more blanket than that because I agree. I agree with everything Rose is saying, but I think it's a very personal choice. Yeah. It's how you're feeling at the time. As I said before, you can take it off if you don't want to keep it on there. Experiment with certain apps. There are some that are much more open. Let's try and encourage people to disclose more often equally not to feel shame if you don't want to do that if you're not ready to do that then that's okay of course that's okay but there is a certain along the way you there is a level of responsibility to that other person that you need to be honest I was just going to say actually on that note as and when Charlie then goes and has their date should they give their date the heads up about the fact they don't like eye contact and they don't particularly like hugs either what would you say I think that that the eye contact and the hugs isn't necessarily the biggest thing because you might not do that anyway you might not fancy someone when you first meet them and I think that might be something that naturally comes and if you start trusting someone and if if somebody creates an atmosphere that you think I can disclose and I can tell somebody these things very naturally come out if actually you sit and think I don't really fancy this person I'm never going to see them why put yourself through that trauma anyway so I think again it's a very organic thing just trust yourself trust your gut instinct but don't be doing it because of shame doing it because you've got to feel comfortable when it's right for you this has been absolutely 
fascinating. And Charlie, I hope that you'll take some of this wisdom and find yourself somebody who loves all of you. Or maybe you're just looking for a dirty fling, in which case, Godspeed. Good luck to you. Thank you so much, Jenny, for bringing in that dilemma and telling us all about Enhance the UK as well. We'll leave those details in the show notes for listeners to check out later. Now, Rosie... I'm not quite done with you yet because it is time for our quick fire advice round. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. This first one is from Reese. Hi, Anna. My friend said something to me a couple of weeks ago that kind of upset and annoyed me. And I want to bring it up with him, but I don't really know how to open up the conversation without making it seem like an attack or a bigger deal than it is. If you've got any advice. Oh, come on, Miss Jones, what are we saying? So your friend your friend has really upset you. Mm. Do you bring it up with them? And how do you bring it up with them without it make, making it sound like it's an attack on them? Well, I'm a busy lady. <laughs> I'm no nonsense. If I'm meeting my friend, I don't want to have an awkward evening. So... I think I would tell it how it is and I would start the conversation with, right, I love you, but we're going to have an awkward 10 minutes because I feel like I need to get this off my chest, right? And you hit them with it because if you don't tackle it head on, it'll eat you up. Absolutely. I love that advice. That I love you, but we're going to have an awkward 10 minutes here. Yeah. You see, the other thing I would say as well is that always start with, I feel... this I feel hurt I feel upset don't try and put the blame on the the other person say you've done this you've tried to you know you've made me feel this way just own your feelings and calmly say I feel hurt I feel upset and I'd really like to sort this out yeah okay here's the next one this is from Rasheen hi Anna it can't just be me who doesn't know what to wear when going on a first date I want to wear something nice but not so sexy that it gives the wrong impression. Any advice? Gratefully received. Thank you. Well, I mean, to be fair, Rasheen, you're asking the wrong girl here because I do naked attraction. So (laughs) I'm like, hell, let it all hang out. What would you say, Rosie? I wouldn't go in there thinking what will they like. It's more about what you feel confident, comfortable, table and sexy absolutely right because at the end of the day that that date is going to go well if Rasheen feels confident in yeah. herself so it's, it's less about how she's looking for, yeah. for that for that date it's more about how she feels in herself in those clothes isn't yeah it? that's it Rosie thank you so much for joining me today you are a goddess you are extraordinary and i wish you nothing but love and happiness in your career and your life moving forward and may mrs jones be out there for you 
thank you very And thank you again to Jenny Williams and Enhance the UK for all of their support too. As always, I'll be back with another episode of It Can't Just Be Me next week. But if you have your own dilemma around sex, love, divorce, friendship or anything else, please leave us a voice note at itcantjustbeme.co.uk or you can email itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. Remember, nothing is off limits and whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producer is Alice Homewood, with support from Laura Williams. The executive producer for Mags Creative is James Norman Fife. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. Don't forget to follow the show or, to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts.